continue our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. As I was thinking about the message, though, I, I noticed that every week I lay out the context, which I think is critical if you're going to understand the letter. Today, I'm going to do that just a little bit different. And I'm not trying to offend those that perhaps haven't been here or haven't followed in the study. But realistically, you folks can go back and listen to some of the former introductions of these messages, or you can just spend some time praying. But for the rest of you who've been around, what I'd like to do is start you off with the context. In other words, let me remind you that Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to a church that they planted in Corinth. Now I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to let you fill in, why did they write? What kind of people did they write it to? Why was this letter written? So I'm just going to be quiet and let you fill in the blanks. And then we'll start up in a moment. Today in our text, Paul talks about a struggle, a real struggle, about the mission and about two promises. But before we jump into chapter 5, let's begin by praying, all right? Father, we do come before you today, and, and we pray as David prayed in Psalm 125. We trust in you, O God. We know that no one who trusts in you will ever be disappointed. All day long, we put our faith in you. My eyes are always on you. My hope is in you alone for strength, for wisdom, for guidance, and perspective. Lord, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's it's taught us that we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. We need your strength. We need you in our lives. And we need you to be able to point us in right directions. Remember your compassion and unfailing love, which you've displayed from creation, O oh Lord. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth, but look at me in the light of your unfailing love and mercy. Forgive my many sins for the honor of your name. Forgive us as a nation, as we have run from you, and we have arrogantly made choices, leaving you out of the picture. We pray that you would forgive our sins as a church, as there are times where we're comfortable and are not passionate nor obedient. And we pray, dear Father, for each of us as individuals, 
For we know, Lord, that our pride often gets in the way. And we ask that you would forgive us. We know you are good and that you always do what is right. And Lord, in some ways, that's what puzzles us. There are times we look around and, and it looks like you aren't active, that you're not involved. But we do know you are, and we affirm that, and we know that you guide the humble and lead them on right paths. So we pray that we would grow in our humility, Father, as a people, as a church, and as a country. We also know, Father, you are a friend of those who fear you. Lord, there's really not many that fear you. They think that your word is filled with suggestions. They feel that you're antiquated and realistically don't think you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Help us see you, Father, differently than everybody else. Even now, we ask that your spirit would be active in your church, the church all over our world, and this church, Crosspoint. We pray that you would ransom us from our selfishness and our arrogance, that you would lead us by your truth and teach us even today. We love you and thank you for everything, Father. Sometimes that's a struggle, but we ask for your patience. We thank you especially today for the gathering in your house that we've been able to meet together and for all those part of our community spread out all over the land. We pray all these things in your son's powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have this dilemma in life. And the dilemma is this, fix or replace. It's a struggle with computers, with cars, with houses, and even relationships at times. We weigh the cost of repair against the cost of replacement. Sometimes the decision is easy. If you look at that house up on the screen, it probably don't have to think too much about, you know what, probably need to move on, all right? But that Pontiac Parisian station wagon, oh, that brings back great memories. But there was a time I had to squeeze the trigger. It cost too much to keep. Now we look at life, and although some of these are major purposes, we still often struggle. But what's really cool, today in the text, remember one of the things that, well, sticks out from, sec uh, uh, that makes Second Corinthians stick out from maybe the other letters, is that Paul is so vulnerable in this letter. All right, He pours his heart out. And here, Paul actually shares a struggle. And it has to do with his body. So let's read with me, if you would, 
Uh, you can open up your Bibles, your flat screens to 2 Corinthians 5, or you can follow on the screen behind me. But we're going to start reading in verse 1 and going through verse 8. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this etern our earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, but then we will be at home with the Lord. We are wearing out. And sometimes we want a new model. All right? Now, in life, sometimes that well, desire comes easier. If you're rather healthy and things are looking pretty good for you, oftentimes you're not thinking of your eternal bodies. But let's face it, as you get older and as your quality of life seems to deteriorate and as you begin to ache more and more and more, all of a sudden you are so refreshed with some of these words. It's not just something you want. It's something you begin to dream about. You know, sometimes, as I said, the decision is easy. But for most of us, we do not go around just saying, well, I can't wait to see the Lord. I can't wait for my new body. Now, it's easy when there's little hope, as I said. All right? But if you have a rich relationship with Jesus, that changes everything regardless of the circumstances. It's a little harder, as I mentioned, when life isn't so bad and your relationship with Jesus is casual because it's not really something you look forward to. And you're even wondering, if you're honest, what am I going to do in heaven for eternity? I mean, it just doesn't really draw me right now. Well, let's look at the struggle through Paul's eyes, all right? First of all, he says, we're all going to die. At least all those, you know, before Jesus Christ returns, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But we're all going to die, and our body will be folded up like a tent. Now, that doesn't sound that attractive, but I think it's actually a good metaphor so the promise, the first promise that Paul gives us is this, is that those who know 
Jesus, all right, you're going to have a new home and you're going to have a new body. Now, when you realize the promise, that's where the struggle comes, okay? If we know what is coming, then we begin to long for it. Right now, realistically, we groan and we sigh. But this is not about your present circumstance or situation. It's about knowing what is coming. It's about the new body. And God is preparing our new lives and has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, or the way I'd like to put it, a snapshot of what it's going to look like in the days to come. Let me give you an illustration. We just get a glimpse of how wonderful it is to be with God today. If you're walking with God, your lives are thriving in spite of the pain and the agony and the dark world and the sin that has just seemed to encompass everybody and everything. But as you walk with God, as you listen to His voice, he gives you perspective in spite of the circumstances personally or externally. It is a wonderful thing to walk with God, to listen to God, to obey God. There's spring in your step. There's perspective that others don't have. And if that is true, then all of a sudden you do see how temporary this life is. You get that little taste. You go, I want that. I want that more. I want that for eternity. And shall we say, you get thirsty. So as long as we're here, as long as we're on the planet, Paul is just trying to say this. We're not home. We're not home. Now the picture that's going up there will help clarify the big difference between a tent and a home. Now, I'm not sure, again, what's inside this house, and I'm not actually sure what's inside this tent. But I think it's really, really clear, okay, that the tent will not have everything that the house has. It just won't. And it's really fun for a little bit of time to go camping and, and to enjoy the outdoors, right? But realistically, after a week or two or four of camping, all of a sudden you go, oh, man, I can't wait to get home. I mean, there's just some things there. <laughs> Way better. Easier to cook, easier to sleep. I love that shower. I, I mean, and, and you start looking at that. And I think literally that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Hey, what we don't realize, as good as tents may be, or as good as that experience, it's just temporary. That our real home is something so very, very different. Something to look forward to. So he says we live by faith, not by sight. We're not enjoying all that eternity has to offer. And so as we walk with God, we start thinking more and more about forever. Ever. We are confident that eternity is better. And we know how sweet it is to walk with God. But really, 
what he has planned for all believers is so much better. Imagine, even if it be for a day, a world without sin or pain or tears or sorrow. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul talked about eternity to the Corinthian church. So if you just turn your Bibles back with me just a few chapters, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to start reading um, at verse 40. Because Paul has already, as I said, mentioned to these folks all about the spiritual body thing. Verse 40. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different than the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. In the same way, with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Down to verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, or literally a mystery, something that no one's known about before Paul said we will not all die and if you mark your Bibles circle the but highlight it we will not all die but but we will all be transformed that's the promise it will happen in a moment in a blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Paul's just giving us hope. He's pumping our tires. There's two kinds of bodies. Right now you've got a body that's broken. Whoa, someday it's going to be raised in glory. You've got a body that's natural. Someday it will be raised supernaturally. It's going to happen. All those who have faith in Jesus, all those who are part of God's family, will be transformed. Those who have died when Jesus comes back, they're gone up first. Their transformation, I don't know, happens a millisecond before those who are here on the planet. But everyone, whether you've died or whether you're walking on the planet, when Jesus comes back, if you're part of the church, you will be raptured and changed. Those, again, have the community has this trans transformation guaranteed for all, and death doesn't win. Now, let's look at the mission that God has given us and another promise. If you turn, again, your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Um, we're going to start reading at verse 9. So, in light of all this, Paul says, So, whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Underline, highlight, do what you need to do. Verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. So Paul just comes across and says, you know what our mission is? It might be confusing, but I just want you to know, you're on the planet, I'm on the planet to please God. It's a rather simple mission, which most of us make really complicated. Let me put it a different way. What are you here on earth for? Why did God give you and me breath this morning? Simply to please God. Well, how does this affect your daily life? Do you even now get up every single day for the most part and go through your normal routine? Maybe God's never even in the equation. What do you talk to God about? Yes, you all have to eat, you all have to make a living, you all, and you fill up your day. But, but truthfully, if our mission, if our goal is God says, hey, I've left you here, God, how can I please you? I will be most fulfilled when I listen to you, God. I will be living large if I obey you, God. I want to please you. Now again, it's so much easier when you're walking with him. Now this is certainly going to make sense, especially in light of the next promise. Promise number two is this. We will stand before God to be judged. We will literally stand before God, every one of us, before the holy God, and we will be judged on how we pleased God. Now, in the scriptures, I would say there's at least five judgments, although I believe there's probably seven total judgments in the future. The two judgments which are talked about most often are called the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Now I think it's important for each one of us to especially understand these two judgments. So the first one we're going to look at is called the great white throne judgment and this judgment affects unbelievers. Let's turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and you can again follow on the screen if you'd like. The Apostle John writes this. He has a vision. And he says, in my vision, I saw a great white throne. Isn't that cool? It's called the white, great white throne judgment because it's a great white throne. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. As I saw the great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky 
fled from its presence. But they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as it recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And let me just add, forever. Forever. These are sobering words. These are words that should motivate, I think, every one of us to be more bold to anybody we know that doesn't know Jesus, who have not come to faith, whose name is not written in the book of life. Because this is permanent. It's being separated from God. You see, when we come to faith, every believer's sin is judged at the cross. But these folks never chose to put their faith in Jesus. Now, the second judgment is the judgment that we're going to talk about right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This text addresses the judgment seat or the bema, it's for believers. Again, believers are not going to be judged for their sin because Christ paid that debt and Jesus took our sin on him on the cross. So what are we judged for? Well, we're judged for our faithfulness. But let me give you just a quick um, background on what the Bema seat is. You'll see a picture behind me. It's not that impressive. Believe me. All right? But it's Back in the town of Corinth, there was a bema seat. And a bema is a raised area for public officials to be able to give speeches or to hear legal cases or to render judgment. Now, Corinth had a bema seat. And these folks at the church understood this illustration very, very well. The Lord says is that each one of us will someday come before him. Now, I just have to take a little tangent. As I was preparing this message, my all-time favorite rock band is Petra. Now, I know that not everybody is even knowing what Petra is, okay? But I love Petra for more than just the rock. I love their theology. And I had this great idea, instead of toning it down and letting that little blurb about the Bema seat be our bumper, I thought for sure it would be awesome to play Petra Bema seat. And I told my wife this great idea. And she said, and I could tell as soon as she hesitated it was not a wise thing All right. so what I would like to say is this you go home 
and you search on YouTube, Petra Bema Seat, and just crank it up, folks. Listen, it will blow you away. It's so awesome. All right, let me get back to this. All right? So what happens is, is that believers will stand before the perfect judge and receive reward. God is going to. This is a promise. This is a promise. God will honor those who please him. Those who have been faithful to him. Well, we find out about this in James chapter 1. But one of the clearest places in Scripture that help us understand this is found in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells a parable of the talents. Let me go over that for you, if, if I could. There's a rich landowner, and he wants to go on a trip. And Jesus tells this story, so he calls three of his servants. And he gives each one of them a different amount of money or talents or coinage. To one he gives, let's just say, five silver coins. To another he gives two silver coins. And to a third he gives one silver coin. And he says, hey, I'm going to leave. Go invest this. And when I come back, we'll see how well you do. Well, the scriptures say that that landowner was gone for a long time. But when he came back, he gathered them all together. And the first one who was given the five was so excited. Master, I am so grateful. Look, I have ten to give you back. I've invested this. And the lantern goes, oh, you are amazing. You are good. You are a faithful servant. Yes! Second one. Master, I'm so glad to see you. Two. Two talents. And I'm going to give you four. Same response. This is awesome. I'm so glad that you invested. And that all seems to make sense. But it's the landowner's response to the third person that should really bother you, and it bothers me. Because what happened in this story is that this person was given one. It's not about how much everybody was given. Just remember that. It isn't. But he was just given one, and this servant was afraid of the master. So he went and he hid it. And so when the master came back, you would think again, if I wrote the story or told the story, I would say, hey, you know what? At least you didn't lose it, dude. Great job, you know? But no, he brings it back and hands him the one coin. And the landowner's response is, you wicked lazy servant. Whoa. <laughs> what just happened? What just happened is a perfect illustration of what's going to happen. Those who are faithful, those who follow Jesus and listen to him, who invest in kingdom things, who are not casual toward his word, who listen to him, who fear him, who love him. When they stand before God. <laughs> Good job, dude. Amazing. I am so glad you listened to me. 
I am so glad of the lives you made an impact. I am so glad you are here. Well done. But there are going to be some. And this is what is scary. Who may have thought, you know what, I don't want to use that talent. I don't want to invest. I want to stay comfortable. I like my job. I like my house. I like my weekends. I, like, I don't want to serve. I don't want to do this. I don't want to spend time with you, God. I don't want to listen to you. I want to do my own thing. You kind of restrict me. And the response is not going to be good. Those who are faithful to him will hear the words, well done. Let me emphasize this even more. In 1 Corinthians, again, the church heard about this investment stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul writes this to the same church only earlier. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, on the day when we stand before God at the Bema seat, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done, each person. The fire will show a person's work has any value. Not a person, but a person's work. If the work survives, that builder will receive reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. A little hope there, huh? But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Can I just ask you, can you let that sink in? This will happen. Every believer will stand before the Almighty God. Every one of us. So my question is this. Why is it that so many of those in the church don't live like there'll be accountability. This is not your pastor's opinion. Let, let me just say this. This is God's word. And for me, I want to stand before God and hear him say, well done. In fact, it's one of the greatest motivating factors in my life this very day. Lord, you've given me so much. I have so much time, so many finances, so many gifts. God, God, I want to use them. I want to listen to you. I want to please you in every way. I want my words to please you. I want my actions to please you. Father, I just want to please you. I do. I want to hear from you. Well done. Well done, Wage. Yes. But my guess is something's got to change for all of us. We're so self-focused. 
our main goal isn't to please Jesus, it's to please us. And, and let me say this. I think intimacy changes our actions from have to to get to. As you spend time with Jesus, you're not motivated, oh, I, I better do this, man. I, I mean, it's just like in any relationship. I better do it or I'm going to get a whipping. Well, hopefully when you're 18 years old, you're not doing something your parents ask you to do because you're going to get a whooping, whatever you get. You know, time out. You're the only 18-year-old in a corner. You know, I have no clue. But how sad would that be? Really? You've lived in that household. You've seen your parents. You understand completely how much God loves you and cares for you and how much your parents... So, oh, I want to please you. I get it. So as you spend time with our Lord, which we encourage you to do every day, all of a sudden, when he asks you to do something, when you hear it, you say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to live. It doesn't make sense to me, but yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to invest. Yes, I'm going to stand before you, God. You gave me X amount of time. You gave me X amount of this. Like nobody else. It's just you and God. How wonderful. How convicting. Now again, someone asked me, um, how do I know what the rewards are? Will it be worth it? And you know what? I, I mean, there's preachers, I'm sure you've heard this, says, hey, you're going to get a mansion. Are you going to get... Uh, you know what? I don't know what you're going to get, and I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't. But I can tell you this. It's going to be amazing. Whatever God rewards his faithful kids... It's going to be amazing. It will. Now, we've covered much today, as we have every week. But I want to close with two verses and put them in context. We read about our bodies and about how the resurrection is going to happen in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, the very last verse in 1 Corinthians 15 is 58. And, and this is what Paul writes. So, because you're going to have new bodies, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. So, because eternity is coming, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work casually. Ah, be lackadaisical. Hey, if you show up, you show up. <laughs> no. Paul's on steroids here. Always work enthusiastic for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. 2 Corinthians 4.18, the verse we ended up last week in our study, right before he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, So, we don't look at the troubles we can now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for eternity. For the things we see now will soon be gone. It's temporal. It's the tent. But the things we cannot see will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
So, we struggle. You know, God, I, I do want to see you. <laughs> I do. Maybe for a little bit you want me to stay, and, and I'm here for a mission. My mission is to please you, is to honor you, is to, to bring you glory, is to mirror you to others, is to spread your fragrance wherever I go. God, I don't understand this assignment. I know, but I will please you as I walk with you. These are convicting words. These are enlightening. These are motivating. Because I don't know, I look around, there's some really young folks, and there's uh, some older ones. But I don't know how many days you have left. I don't know how many hours you have left. But how cool is it, even from right now, say, Lord, I know my mission. Let's get together daily. Let me listen to you. Let me please you in every way I can. And then when you stand before Jesus, oh my word, no regrets. No regrets. None. Yes. Let's pray before we sing, holy, holy, holy. Lord, we, we come before you. We recognize that we, by ourselves, are selfish people. We are. And if we continue that route, we will have regrets. Because it's not about us, it's about you. So change us. Transform us even today. And God, help us focus on eternity. Help us recognize that how we invest today, what we do today, how we respond today makes a big difference, not only in your kingdom, but when we see you. We pray all these things in your son's name.